Listen, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, something that if you haven't learned already, uh, how many of you are following along with the Movement Church app? Probably the easiest way to follow along on a Sunday morning is just download that app. And I put all my sermon notes in that I think are going to be pertinent to the morning that you might want or that you may, I think you may need. You can follow along right there. You can, of course, raise your hand. One of our friendly family members here in Red would love to give you a Bible. We've been in a series called Centered. And we're talking about being in community. We talked about being in a prayer-centered community, encouragement last week. I told you guys you were fierce. Like, you, like to press courage into each other and to make sure that you know that you're fierce. Today we're going to talk about a common cause-centered community. A common cause-centered community. As we begin to read in this passage in Acts, I want to set the stage for this. Jesus, at this time in history, had gone to the cross. He had died. He had been resurrected from the grave. He shows back up on the scene. He's sitting, he's talking with his disciples and the followers that he had accumulated. And there was about 120 of them at the time. And historians tell us that out of those 120, Jesus spoke to them in Acts 1 and said, I want you to go and I want you to wait until I send you somebody, something that's going to be more powerful. Because I got to go and I got to go hang out with my dad. So I'm going to go hang out with, with, with God. But I'm going to send you somebody that's going to be with you all the time. An advocate, an encourager. We talked about last week, the Holy Spirit, to encourage you and just to be with you and to empower you. So I want you to hang out. So there's 120 of them hanging out in a room. And Jesus is saying to them, I want you to all be together in this room. He didn't tell them, I want you, I, I want you to catch this. Jesus didn't tell them, I want all of you to go to your separate homes, your separate ways. I want you to go bear yourself, close the door, and I want you to wait in your individual home. He said, I want you to all remain together and wait until I send you this encourager. And in the book of Acts chapter 2, we see this, this moment happen where the Holy Spirit shows up and these people are filled with the power of God like we've never seen in the history of mankind. And people start seeing this radical transformation and change. And people start giving their lives to Jesus. In fact, by the, by the time they're done in this initial moment, over 3,000 people. So now there's 3,120 people, if I do my math correctly, that are now hanging out together. And we jump in right now in the verse 42, and this is where we pick up. It says, they devoted themselves. Who were they? 3,120 Thank you for following. That was really good. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone who, as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now we're talking today about a common cause-centered community, but first I, I want to talk about, uh, we're going to talk about three things today. Number one, what is our cause? If you're a note taker, 
This is in the app, but if you're a note taker, number one, we're going to talk about what is our cause. If we're a common cause-centered community, what's our cause? What's our cause here at the Movement Church? What is our cause at the center of our faith if we're a believer? So I, don't, I also believe that what I'm about to describe to you is not, it's not something that's unique to the Movement Church. I think this is our cause as people of faith. What is our cause? Number one. Number two, we're going to talk about what makes our cause common. And what I mean by that is, is what, what draws this cause that we have, what binds it all together, like all of us together in this cause? What makes it common? And number three, which I think is an important question that we often ask ourselves. In fact, I know psychologically that the number one question, if, if something is said to you, the number one question that you typically ask is, what does this mean for me? Okay, so here's the question. What is my part of our common cause? Centered community. What is my part? Let's start with number one. What is our cause? Let's look at the word cause. What is a cause? A cause is a principle, an aim. It's a conviction. It's an objective. It's a purpose. It's an interest. It's an undertaking or a movement. And I, want, I want you to catch this. It's an undertaking or a movement that, because of a deep commitment, one is prepared to defend or advocate. So a cause is something more than just, oh, I have this goal. It's this, it's this objective that because of the deepness of it, because of the deep commitment to it, that I'm willing to be moved in an activity by it. I'm prepared to defend it and advocate for it. So Jesus says to the disciples, he says, I want you to go and I want you to all hang out together. Be together in this room and wait for the advocate that I'm sending to you. We are the cause. The Holy Spirit chose in Scripture to advocate on our behalf to give us power for that we could walk full of his power. So what is the common cause at the center of their community? What's the common cause at the center of their community? So we know what a cause is, but what is the common cause at the center of their community? Let's back up one chapter in Acts 1.8. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is Jesus talking to the disciples, talking to the 120. This is what he's telling them. I want you to go and wait, and here's what's going to happen. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. Whose witnesses? Jesus' witnesses. In Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Pretty much summarizes the entire globe. Right? So let me read this a different way. If you would get together and wait in your togetherness, the Holy Spirit loves to move in togetherness. He will empower you to be a witness of Jesus in all of San Marcos, all of Vista, Escondido, Valley Center, Carlsbad, Oceanside, Rancho Bernardo, Poway, and to the ends of the earth. Does that make sense? What is a witness? Now, when I say witness, to be my, to be Jesus, when I say witness, what do you think? Be a witness for Jesus. What do you think? What is it? Visual. What else do you think? To testify. What does that mean? To what? Tell a story. 
to give an account of an experience, to represent. When I think be a witness for Jesus, all those are correct answers. When I think be a witness for Jesus, I'm going to tell you what I thought when I was sitting in the seat, maybe much like you are, some guy stood on a platform and said, hey, listen, you need to be a witness for Jesus. And I thought, oh my gosh, growing up in Oceanside, I remember those guys who were the witnesses for Jesus. Okay? Because as I took myself down the street, I would encounter these people that are like, repent or you're going to hell. Okay? Now that's one way to be a witness, right? So you could tell with your, with your words. Okay, I, I think, okay, I'm, so somebody said, uh, well, hey, being a witness means like walking up to random people when you're in public and like just say, hey, do you know Jesus? Okay, over 60% of the population are introverts. Do you, do you know that if I said to you the only way to witness of Jesus in your life to other people is to walk up to a complete stranger and just start talking to them? Over 60% of the room would, right now, would go, yeah, right? That's what I did. I was like, have you ever been with somebody that's an extrovert, really gregarious, and they start talking to a perfect stranger? And I'm like, do you know that person? They're like, no. And I'm like, ah. Uh. Okay. I'm the introvert. Believe it or not, I live in an extroverted world, <laughs> right? But I'm an introvert. So when I go in public, like, don't, don't, don't be offended if you see me and I'm like this, like in the, it's just because it's like, oh my gosh, people, you know what I mean? So when I think witness, I think I got to like walk up to like, uh, excuse me, uh, maybe might you say, I, I'm a pastor. Um, what I'm really trying to say is uh, your flies down. No, no. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. What I'm saying is, if you leave yourself open to danger, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, do you know Jesus, right? And like, but it's such an intimidating thing. Okay, but let's, hold on a second. Let's talk really quickly. I'm making fun of this because I, I want us to all get on the same page. The word witness means uh, to be on record, to testify. So, our cause is to testify to our encounter with a living Jesus. Is your life is your life on record? Let me back up. Are you willing to put your life on record in a court of law before a judge to testify in order to illuminate for others to see and know and understand? the goodness of what a living God has done for you. That is what a witness is. So we use this word, but that's what it is. Are you willing to enter into that court of law for the world to see, to illuminate the experience and the encounter that you had with Jesus? Number two, what makes our cause common? In verse 44, it says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. Now this troubles me. All the believers were together and had everything in common. I'll tell you why that's troubling. When I read that, what that tells me is, all of them were together and they agreed on everything. 
Do you read it that way? That's the way I understand that scripture. That's troubling to me. Because I have 10 people to live in my house. And we can agree on nothing. And you're telling me that 3,120 people were in perfect agreement on everything. Think about this. Okay, let's break this down. The word everything means altogether the whole or everyone. So I'm going to reread this. I'm going to, I'm going to give you it all together. Keep, hold on to this, all together. Okay? All the believers were together in their togetherness. I'm going to say it that way. All of the believers were together in their togetherness. All the believers were to be together and to have being all together in common with one another. Okay. Let me say it this way. Every, all 3,120 of them understood this one central thing about themselves and the person that they were looking at. I am 100% human. And in my need of my humanity, I have a deep need to be together in togetherness with another human who understands that they have a deep need to be together in togetherness. That we no longer are going to stand and live shoulder to shoulder. We talked about this a little bit last week. But we now are going to live heart to heart. But we are together in our togetherness. And what this does is, and I'm not going to dive deeply into this, but I, so, sure, I'll say it. What this does is, is it pushes us past this idea of agreement and us having to agree on everything. and pushes us to a place of aligning to something that's bigger than our agreement. So I no longer have to be in perfect agreement with you. I just know that you and I are aligned to the fact that we are together in our togetherness. That at the end of the, end of the day, we are going to fight to be together. We will fight for our togetherness. And we're together in that. And too often what happens is, is we go, like, you know, I disagree. I'm leaving church. I went to church once. Pastor. He was a man. He was human. He made mistakes. I'm holding the entire church accountable for that for the rest of my life. I knew a Christian once. I was married to him. Here's what we do. If we don't move past this idea of having to agree with everything and aligning to being together in our togetherness, we will try it out and we will end up being alone and isolated. We'll end up being depressed. 
You'll be sitting in a doctor's office going, I don't know what's wrong. I just feel alone. I feel, I, I feel like no one cares about me. It's the strangest thing, doctor. How many people do you spend time with? Are you together with people? Oh, never. Can I, can I tell you that, that science, social science is proving like this is where we're moving to as a society. So this isn't me like opining about how I see culture. I'm actually regurgitating to you the things that I read and I, I, as I begin to take a glimpse and go, oh, this is fascinating. And we long, I, I talk to people that long to see this type of church. But we are very short in our patience and our willingness to be together in our togetherness. But we want the manifestation and the results of what it takes in our togetherness. Does that make sense? You want a child without intercourse. No, no. Oh, oh. Okay. No, I'm glad it shocked you. Because it said, in our togetherness, no, we'll follow this. In our togetherness, it is impossible I'll read it this way. Togetherness is only accomplished by frequent application of being in close proximity to one another. Follow this. I'm going to reread this again. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Say what? Okay, we just discussed that. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. How often? How frequently? Hmm. Something being in common means that we need to make it common to be in each other's presence and be together. Now follow this. One of the first things that it says is that all of the people were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Let's look at what fellowship means. The word is koinonia. It's a joint participation, a communion, intimacy, intercourse. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that if we don't frequently exercise our togetherness, if we don't frequently exercise our togetherness, we will never see the manifestation of the intercourse and the intimacy of being together. You cannot have, you can't reproduce without intercourse. And fellowship as described here this is, it's, here. The word means a collection of contribution exhibiting an embodiment and proof of fellowship. So here, here's what this is telling me. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching to the fellowship. That fellowship, that togetherness that we're talking about, if it doesn't reproduce and bear fruit, if the tree that you planted is an apple tree and doesn't grow apples, it's not an apple tree, you got a problem. Do you see what I'm saying? If it grows something other than apples, you have an even bigger problem. Are you following me? So what I'm saying to you is, is that 
we have to reproduce. If we're a healthy community, if we're around a healthy common cause, healthy fellowship, healthy togetherness, it will manifest and reproduce. And you can't actually reproduce without the intercourse. Now does that statement make more sense? <laughs> Got your attention, didn't it? You're like, huh? That has nothing to do with it. There's kids in the room. Every day, it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness of hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of how many people? Bang. You know what that means? That means because of the, de the depth of our intimacy together, the depth of who we are, the depth of our togetherness, and our, our, us being together in our togetherness, that means when one of the 3,120 is sick, we're all sick Never once in this in this description did someone go, man, I'm really struggling. Like having like home is tough. I don't you know I don't think I can even barely feed my kids and I've got this work thing going on. And never once here did they go praying for you. That's the emoji that everyone gives you, right? Like. What are we doing? Are you Bruce Lee? Like, praying for you, bro. Are you really? What are you praying for? That God would send help? Look in the mirror. Your help. Why? You're part of 3,120. What's the need? Go help. That's being together in your togetherness. That is, that is the true definition of being devoted to the apostles' teaching. And to the fellowship. Are you devoted to the teaching that you get from this platform? Or does it tickle your ear and go, that sounds like a great plan. Someone should implement that. <laughs> One of you all here should do that. Take care. They hey, you know what? I'm just a networker. Hey, they need something over here. Could you go help? Them? See, that's, this is my part. This is what I do. I disconnect needs with willing hearts. Our common objective then is to testify of God's brilliant love to a love-dull world through our togetherness. Uh, th there's this term that I, I use. I didn't coin this term. It's a term that I use often. Um, it's culture eats vision. Culture eats vision. Vision is what I tell you we're going to do. Culture is what we do. Here's, here, here's why I'm saying this. Because our common objective is to testify of God's brilliant love to a love dull world through our togetherness. We need to not tell people about our togetherness. We need to show people. We need to go on record. Are you willing to go on record today? Because I'm going to tell you right now, the vision of the movement church is that we would all go on record in a court of law and be judged by how well we bring our brilliance, how well we illuminate in our togetherness. 
No solo flyers. Your faith, it, it, it's, it's, not, it's not an alone solo faith. You're not alone. But you have to be willing to step in and be together in that togetherness. You know, I can't force you to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to always lower that on-ramp as low as possible and say you are more than welcome to come along. But our cause is to, is to show people, and be witnesses of Jesus. That's our cause. Well, what are you guys about, Jesus? Is that, is that it? That's it. How? Loving each other. 3,120 just became 3,121. And, and what happens is, is that who we are will always dominate who we say we are. Culture meets vision. Number three, what is my part of our common cause? I'm going to answer this question, and then I'm going to, I'm going to make some statements and, and back this up a little bit. To bring your significant brilliance to the togetherness. To bring your significant brilliance to our togetherness. That's your part. And I don't know, maybe you're like me. I remember sitting and, and hearing a pastor talk about, you know, bring what you have. And, you know, we're supposed to be Jesus' witnesses in all of, you know, Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So all of San Marcos. It's like, okay, I can wrap my head around San Marcos. Oceanside. Yeah, I can wrap my head around Oceanside. Then you start going like, okay, push push the boundaries a little bit. Like, what what about what about like Temecula and Menifee and Murrieta? How about Texas? How about Colorado? How about Maryland? How about Brazil? How about London? All of a sudden, what happens is, is that all that becomes so big that we don't see our significance and our, our significant value in being able to make those impacts. And so this is what was happening to me. I was sitting there, I was going, I'm not, I'm not significant though. But, but I'm telling you, your part is to bring your significant brilliance to the togetherness. So I would, what if, what if I, what I have isn't significant and I'll never reach anyone to the ends of the earth. This is the statement that I would make to myself. I'm insignificant. Let, 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 me, let me be really practical on how this works. It's very fascinating to me when we say, hey, we're going to take some time to continue our worship, our tithes and our offerings. The power that we have financially in our church, in my opinion, is unlimited. If we can all wrap our head around our significance. And this is what I mean. Sometimes the biggest thing for people that holds them back, I knew it did in my life for a long time, is I didn't see maybe all I could give was $20. Maybe all I could give was $200. And I didn't see how that was significant in the grand scheme of things. But when we all bring our flicker, we bring our piece of the illumination, when you bring your 10 and you bring your 10 and 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 your 10, it gives us 
this amazing resource to be able to go outside the four walls and illuminate our cities. But if we don't see ourselves as significant, if you don't see your part as significant, your $20, listen, if you don't give financially to our church, I, I want you to understand something. I want, I want God to, to move on your heart. I don't want it to be emotional. It would be a dream of mine. I just want you to know this. It would be a dream of mine. When we first started this church 18 years ago, we never had a time where we gave. Did you know that? Of course you didn't. You weren't there. That was, I answered the question. I asked the question. I was like, that's a stupid question. Okay. Because you know why? Because we wanted people, we wanted people to have an encounter with the living God and their lives to be illuminated and them to be compelled that they would be together in their togetherness and that what would happen is, is that everyone would just give as needed. So there was never a moment. And then, and then after, after time shifted, I would love it if we could go to a place where all of you had such a deep conviction about bringing your peace that we never had to stop one moment in the middle of one of our services and say, we're going to take time now for tithes and offerings. Because you carry the conviction because of your encounter and your life has been illuminated and you see the blessing of Jesus in your life and you see how he's blessed you. And you see the significance of if it's 20 bucks, you're 20 bucks. and you're Because you make it common that you bring your 20 Are you with me? You make it common that we're going to be together. We think togetherness is just sitting in the seat next to each other. There's a cost to sitting in these seats together. There's a cost to us feeding thousands of people that come to our church now for food. There's a cost. Can, can I just share some vision? There's a cost for us to be able to build a building out in that dirt lot so that we have a center for community, for fellowship, so we can be together in togetherness as we call people from the neighborhoods to a place where they can come and they can receive medical attention and they can receive food and they can receive care and they can receive educational support. Are you with me? It takes being together in our togetherness to go into Oceanside and to bring a nonprofit organization that says we're going to meet real needs with real solutions. It takes being together in our togetherness to move into cities and say, what is it that we can do to just be a blessing to this city? What's your biggest cause in the city right now? And the city goes, this is what it is. They go, we want to get behind that. What do you need? Man, that's a quarter of a million dollars. You know what? We'll pledge a quarter of a million dollars over the next three years and we're going we're gonna to help fund that for the city. Are you with me? Do, do, do you understand what I'm saying? The power of how significant you are. You. It's not one, it's, it's not the Billy. See, we, we think, it, this, is, this is my life. I thought like, God, who's the Billy Graham in the room? Who's going to tell everyone about Jesus, right? We do the same thing financially. Who's the big spender? Who's the millionaire? You know, you just need one millionaire in your church and they can just write that big check. Wrong. We need people that are average, that are ordinary, that understand the power of their significance to be able to deal with the one thing that's in front of them and to have and, and commonly bring that over and over. Let, let, let me read this to you. This is a story, very quickly, this is a story of Peter. And Peter, it's just after Acts 2, it's in Acts 3, he heals this guy who's a, who's a beggar and he's lame. He heals him. And all the religious rulers at the time get really upset with him. I can understand Peter's life. I irritate people a lot. Religion, they get like, you shouldn't do that. You can't say that on that stage. You're a pastor. (laughs) 
Let's be disruptive. Let's be let, let, let's let, let's disrupt our paradigms of what we think religion is. Let's let's disrupt the norm. You know, people say like, think outside the box. I said to I said to Lindsay, who does our student ministry stuff, who's I'm telling you, man, that kid, killing it. Seriously. And I said to him, when we first hired him, he's been on staff with us for a little year. And we were talking, he goes, yeah, I should think outside the box. And if he's like, what you're telling me is think outside the box. I said, no, what I'm telling you is to dismantle the box. Because if you just think outside of it, at some point, you're going to jump back in it. So what I'm telling you is to kick the walls down. Be destructive. So here's Peter. He's being questioned by all the religious rulers at the time. And they want to know, why, why did you do this? And they're going to trying to pin him down, to nail him down on some things. And this is what he says. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, all the religious rulers, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. Can you relate? I'm sorry, I can. I am unschooled. That does not mean I'm not educated. I know people that are schooled that are not educated. Okay? Listen, this, this is important. I, I think, like, Holy Spirit puts this in Scripture for us to read so that we can see our significance. They realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men. They were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with. What's the game changer? Jesus. that they were together and their togetherness centered around Jesus. You are significant. You have a part to play in our common cause. And what this isn't, this isn't a ploy to go outside in the courtyard and sign up to serve somewhere. I'm taking a step back and what I'm compelling you to look at is that if you have a real encounter with a real living God, a real Jesus, and there's real trans, that something in you should be changed. Like something in you says, I, like, what is it? What's needed? I wanna, I'm gonna overwhelm the odds. I'm gonna bring myself. I'm gonna bring my bank account. I'm gonna bring my house. I'm gonna bring my car. I'm gonna... Danny just moved from England, right? Been here for three weeks. Just became our, our, our new worship pastor. Year process getting him here. He moves here. Him and his wife walk away from everything in London. They move here. So I said, a couple weeks ago, I go, Danny, you know, it's like we're praying. It's a prayer-centered community. So we're praying that he needs a car. Someone in our church took this scripture to heart. Said, I have a car. Right? And they were willing to be together in our togetherness and said, you know, if Danny suffers, then, then I'm going to suffer. And I want Danny to be free to lead. And I want the team to be able to free to lead. So we're going to do, what does it take? And they didn't loan him the car. They just said, yep, here's the value of the car. Pat, can you come sign this document? We just want to give him the car. Sure. 
No strings attached. So good. Man, but this is the problem. When you hear that, you take yourself out of the seat of needing to be significant because you think somebody else did it. This is the truth. You have something to bring. And I'm not telling you you have to go sell all your possessions. One of the best questions that someone asked me, I'm, here's something to say, one of the best questions that I was taught to ask is to, is to say to somebody, what is your biggest need? The best thing we can do in our cities is go to our city, literally walk in, which I've sat with the mayor, with the city manager, said, what is your biggest need? I don't have a preconceived idea. I don't walk in and go, well, this is what I'm going to do. Let, let me tell you something. This is what I'm going to do. Since all you people in the city are failing, I'm here to change it. That's kind of what it sounds like. I walk in and go, what's your biggest need? Well, Pat, this, I don't know. This is your... I want to sit down and have those conversations in cities, in homes. I want to sit at the church and go, this is our biggest need. I want to be together in our togetherness. I want you to see your significance in this. That you are presently powerful today. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you don't have to take 17 classes at the Movement Church or go to seminary school. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture, by the way. Just so you know. Because they were unschooled and ordinary men. But what were they full of? They were full of the Holy Spirit because of their encounter with the living Jesus. You know what that means for you and I? No student loan debt. I'm serious. We think in America, like, to, to become successful, we follow the thing. So in our Christian faith, we do the same thing. We get saved and we go, well, where do I go to school? Because I've been told my whole life that I need to go to college to be successful and get a loan and have debt. It's like when you got out of high school, someone was like, yeah, the debt's been paid. You're good. You'd be like, huh? That's the equivalent. You don't have to go into more debt. The debt's been paid by Jesus. You just need to illuminate and be brilliant. You just need to step in and you need to be like Scripture says and be a city on a hill. You need, you need, but we, we don't want to hide it. We want to shine brightly in our, in our communities. And how do we do it? By being together in our togetherness. All 3,120. And at the end of this, it said, and numbers, people were being saved daily. Intercourse produces children. And when we're willing to be together in our togetherness, we will see an explosion of people meeting Jesus like never before. It doesn't take programs. We don't need to add more programs. If we just had this program, we could... No. We need more of Jesus. The more Jesus I have, the more together I am in my togetherness, my, my willingness. Are you with me this morning? Why don't you stand with me? Man, you should go back and listen to my 8 a.m. service because those are two different messages.
I think this one was better. I'm just, listen, I'm just, I'm sharing my heart, okay? I'm being transparent, sharing my heart. And, and believe me, these, these things that I talk about are, are deeply convicting to me, meaning I, it's a reflection on me too. And I go, gosh, where am I being together in my togetherness? How about this? Am I having an encounter with Jesus on a daily basis? Are you having an encounter with Jesus? Let me ask this. Have you had an encounter with Jesus ever? It's one thing to read about Jesus. It's a whole nother thing to have a personal encounter with Jesus. This morning, have you had a personal encounter with Jesus? Let's close our eyes. Have you had a personal encounter with Jesus? As we leave here, I just want to encourage you guys. I want to press courage into your hearts. That you are significant and that you're not alone. This is, this is important because as long as you and I as individuals, if we, if we hold on to these things that we're not significant, we're alone we can never grab a hold of this togetherness. God is calling us out of areas of isolation and he's calling us to live radically. And I say it's radical because in our current society, in our current culture, what I'm saying to you doesn't make sense. So today, if you're willing to bring your life to the courtroom and go on record to testify to the goodness, to the brilliance of a living Jesus, to be together in our togetherness as we move forward, just open your hands up. I just want to pray for you. Father, I pray for an outpouring of action. An outpouring of movement. An outpouring of dedication to fighting past agreement and getting aligned to being together in our togetherness. That division can't live, it, it, it has no oxygen to fuel it. It has no air to breathe. We're together in our togetherness. Because what would once divide us in relationships or as an organization or as a church or as a city or as a community, what once could divide us can no longer divide us because we, we're submitted to something bigger, to being together in our togetherness. Some of you this morning when I talk about being significant and you're not alone, this hits your heart. Like your heart is heavy this morning over this. If you, just as, as I wrap up, and make this really simple. If you need prayer for that, I want you to come forward. We just have a prayer team that love to pray for you. For the rest of us, 
God, empower us to walk in community, common cause-centered community, to be your witnesses, to be together in our togetherness. And that we would be willing to wrap our arms around. If anyone here needs prayer, we're going to what we do. We're going to be together in our togetherness. If you're struggling, we're all struggling. We thank you in Jesus' powerful name, everyone said. So.